Great is our faithfulness, amen. Great is his faithfulness, amen. Not little is his faithfulness, but great. Great is his faithfulness. Some may say rich is his faithfulness. His faithfulness is, it don't grow weak. It remains rich and strong. His faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, almighty God, unto me. Meet me over into Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Hallelujah. We're continuing in our series called Storytelling, where we've been looking at the poems and and parables and prayers of Jesus, wanting to sit at his feet as we dive into his word so he may say something and give us something that we need in this new year, in this new season that we in. Today we'll be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If you have it, say amen. If you could, stay with me for the reading of God's word. Please stand with me, please. I honor God's word. Again, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Great is your faithfulness, God. It says this, someone from the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus responded, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he told them, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. He says a rich man's land was very productive. And this rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, for this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And he ends with this in verse 21. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself And is not rich towards God. The question I have for you this morning. Are we generous stewards or are we foolish owners? Are we generous stewards or are we foolish owners? Let's pray. Father God, we yield our heart and our minds to you. Have your way. Rock this building for you are faithful. Help us to be faithful in receiving your word this morning. Be glorified, be edified this morning, church of God, as the word of God comes to you. We submit under your mighty hand. We submit under your faithful word, Father. We love you. We adore you. May your will be done this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. You could be seated. Are we generous stewards or are we foolish owners? Verses 13 and 14 starts off with Jesus leading this crowd, this crowd of thousands. It was so thick, if you look in in verse 1, it would say that people were stepping on one another's feet. 
And then out of the crowd, a man yells out, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then Jesus said to him, who appointed me to be judge between you two? Now, it seems like this man sees that Jesus walks in an authoritative position. He maybe saw him as a rabbi, because during that time, Jews would come to rabbis like they were judges. And they would ask him to peer in and make decisions concerning a dispute between them and another party. So we see that this man that yells out from this crowd to Jesus, looks at Jesus as someone who has authority or who is a judge. And he wasn't far off because we know that he is the judge of man. And he will be in the end the judge of mankind. So obviously this man saw the authority of Jesus. But the question I ask is, why did this man, in the midst of Jesus talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and in the midst of Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, this man would yell out and ask him, yo, 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 like, there's an issue between me and my brother. Can you handle this issue? Maybe it was because in verse 2, if you go up to the top, Jesus said, nothing is covered up that would not be uncovered and nothing secret that would not be, become known. So maybe the man thought this was an opportunity to uncover the sins of his brother. Or maybe it was verse 11 through 12 when Jesus said, when they bring you before the rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you are to defend yourself. Or what you ought to say for the Holy Spirit would teach you at that very hour what you ought to say. So maybe the man figured, okay, man, I'm being led by the Holy Spirit right now to defend myself. And you know, we do that quite a bit. That we think we say, yo, the Holy Spirit led me to defend myself. Then later on we found out it's our emotions. But for whatever reason it is, the man asked Jesus to judge between him and his brother. And this is what Jesus says. In verse 15 he says, watch out and guard and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I'm not sure if when, he say, when they say he told them if he just told the two brothers or, or, or he was telling the whole crowd, it doesn't matter. Jesus said what he said, watch out and be on guard against all kind of greed. Jesus used this opportunity, this moment to, to, to kill two birds with one stone. One, of course, the, the stone of, this, of the issue between him and his brother, the, the heart issue, but also another stone which the Pharisees that he was talking about and dealing with in, in the verses above. No matter what it is, Jesus was using this opportunity to expose the heart of mankind and to warn mankind of his ever craving for material gain. So Jesus warns them to watch out and be on guard against all greed. Now Jesus is calling them and calling us as we read this to stay alert about greed, to, to watch out for greed, to pay attention to every action that we do and the motive that we do it with. He's calling us to guard all greed because greed has many faces and it exposes itself in many ways. Jesus wants us to watch out for all kind of greed because, because though we may think that greed is just about money, no, it can be in so many ways. It can be about food. It can be about time. It can be about relationships. Greed has many faces. Another thing about greed, greed is not picky. She doesn't care about who she hangs around. She doesn't care about your ethnicity or your social or economic uh, status. She don't care about your neighborhood. She just wants attention and she wants to have her way. If I can think about what greed's love language would be, it'd probably be gifts. But what is greed? I simply define greed as this. Greed is the desire to get your hands on whatever you want, even if you don't need it, at any cost to you and to the cost of others. 
Greed is the desire to get your hands on whatever you want, even if it's not what you need, at any cost to you and at any cost to others. So even if it costs you your family time, you're going to get whatever it is that you want. Even if it's pulling you away from meeting the needs of your brother or your sister or your neighbor, that greed leads you to do whatever you got to do to get what you want. Why? Because the root of greed is selfishness. And selfishness is to turn away from God and from others and to look inward at yourself. And this is why repentance is a change of mind. But that change of mind leads you from turning away from following yourself and looking at yourself to looking at God and considering others with a godly sorrow and humility. Again, greed is not just a lust for money and things, but it can also be a lust for fame. Greed can be a lust for, for, for attention. Uh, Greed can be something that you have in your relationship, that your relationship is all about you. What can I get out of this relationship? What can this person give me? And when they don't, I'm out of here. Because greed is selfish when God is calling us to be what? Selfless. Greed also says, I have what I need, but I want more. Greed is a hunger and a thirst for earthly possessions and not spiritual possessions like righteousness and godliness. Greed can be discontentment. Discontentment when God has given you something and you feel like that's not enough. A lot of us have been in that situation with our jobs, our position in church, in our homes, in our marriage. God, I know you. I know this is what I have and what you've given me, but God, I want more. How many of y'all prayed for a job and God gave it to you, and then months later or a year later, you say, I don't want this no more? The greed, the selfishness is ever drawing you to hunger and thirst for more. Greed can promote and produce an unhealthy value towards material things. And this is why Jesus finishes that statement when he says, watch out and guard yourself from all greed by saying, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. For we think that the quality of life is proportionate to our possessions. We feel like, yo, my life, I have a quality of life when I have more things, and this is not true. It does not dictate your possessions, does not dictate, man, like how blessed you are or how successful you are. And like this man, we think in abundance of possessions, whether it's an inheritance from our family members, whether it's, whether it's um, man, hitting a lottery or whether it's tax time because that's what we're waiting on. We think like that's a lottery for us, right? No matter what, no matter what we have in abundance, it does not take away our problems. It doesn't take away the the agony and anxiety that comes with life in itself. But we think an abundance of possession will do that, and that's not true. I'm a hip-hop head, so I remember this old hip-hop prophet said something so dope. He said, more money, more problems. And that can be true to a point because more money and, and more possessions can bring more problems, but that's only if greed is driving your life. The Bible teaches us this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10. He says, the love of money, the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but the love of it is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, craving the things, craving money, craving to have these possessions, these earthly possessions. Look at this. He said, many have wandered away from the faith. 
I've seen people that say, man, I prayed for this and asked for this, and I thought I'm supposed to have this, and God, I don't have it, I'm out. He said, many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. God has peace for you in his hands, but because you don't have these earthly, earthly possessions, though you may have, believer, these spiritual heavenly blessings and possessions, though you may not have these things that you want, you find yourself living a life of grief, sadness, discontentment. Every day, yeah, I know God is good, but, yeah, God is good, but, God is like God is, and people like, when well, we should say, man, God is good, no buts. Celebrate them. See, the love for material possessions, whether it be money or things, is evil because it festers greed. And greed breeds discontentment, and discontentment produces an inward focus, an inward focus from selfishness. And Jesus continues to dive deeper into this with the parable in verses 16 through 19. He says this, and then he told them, Jesus told them a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I would do this, he said. I would tear down my barns. I would big bigger ones and store my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have, man, you did a good job. Look at you. And many goods are stored up now for many years. And I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to go play ball every Sunday and now go to church. I'm going to enjoy myself. Now, if we just look at this, right, we just look at the farmer. Let's not go spiritually deep yet. Let's, let's just look at the farmer. If you look at the farmer, he seems intelligent, right? He seems reasonable. He's definitely rich. That's what we call the rich farmer, amen. We would even say he's wise because he was saving up, and he was storing up his abundance and not blowing it away. We would even say, man, he seems like he's a good steward. So primarily, there isn't anything wrong with us just that for him to build up his barns and to fill them up. I mean, he grew out of his barns, right? Same way we do with a home. We might be in a two-bedroom, but then when we start having six or seven children, we're like, yo, this ain't going to work. Like, we need, we need a bigger home. So we upgrade. I know that personally. So you upgrade, because why? Because you just want to make sure you have what you need to best serve the people that you're serving. So the problem is not the fact that he saved up and he stored up at all, but the problem was that he was saving up and storing up for himself and nobody else. So here's a point I want to make. There is no upfront issue or, or upfront, upfront evil in saving or storing up, but if when you're saving and storing up doesn't lead to you pulling up somebody else, then there's evil that lies beneath. I'm going to say it again. There is no upfront evil in saving up and storing up, but if there is no pulling up of someone else, then evil lies beneath. The rich farmer's sin wasn't his possessions or his abundance in possessions. It was the posture of his heart. I want you to say to yourself right now, what is the posture of my heart? Say, what is the posture of my heart? It was his posture, not his possession, that was problem. So that's why after he saved up and he stored up and he upgraded, he just kicked back and he enjoyed himself. And instead of looking and say, who can I bless? He said, man, I'm blessed. His focus was on himself. He was selfish. He was greedy. He was inward focused, forgetting that God was blessing him to bless somebody else. Saying what else? God gives it to us so we can be a funnel. 
He blesses us so we can bless others. That's what we talk about being a generous steward here at Blueprint Church, generously giving. Now again, he said, man, if you're not a cheerful giver, keep your money. I don't want that. But we should be a funnel where God can say, hey, I trust you. Let me give you some because I know you're going to give it to somebody else when they need it. But in the farmer's heart, there was no room for nobody else in his heart but himself, not even God. Is this in us? As you look at your life, is this in you? In some areas of my life, I, I will say amen, it is. I was even convicted this morning of some things. I was like, God, am I, am I acting like I own this? Or am I? And he was showing me some things in my life. Yes, it is in us. Look at someone and say, right now, look at somebody and say, man, watch out and guard your heart from all kinds of greed. Tell somebody, watch out and guard yourself from all kinds of greed. Sound like I said much more. Amen. That. I promise that wasn't a sentence. I heard like a paragraph. <laughs> but amen, if you was encouraging one another, amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So after he gives the parable, he comes down to verses 20 and 21, and this is God's reaction to this farmer, this rich farmer. He said, you fool. Now right now, the farmer thought he was on point. He was like, man, look at that. I got my bonds up. I can kick it back. I'm stored up for years. I don't never have to work again. It's all good. I'm, man, I'm on point. And God came down and said, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Then he said, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God told the farmer in so many words, you selfish fool, tonight you are going to die. And everything that you stored up for, everything that you live for, everything that you sacrificed for, all the family time that you sacrificed, all the things that you kept away from serving your neighbors, every time that you didn't do what I called you to do, tonight those things that you stored up, those things that you save up, they will not go with you when you die. Why? Because the root of a fool in the Old Testament, New Testament, the reason why they would call somebody a fool is because, of, because they either disbelieved God or disregarded God. And clearly, the rich farmer disregarded God and others. Just think about it. What did he say? He said, I will build, I will build, I will store, I will do this to my barns, my house. This is mine, this is mine. I, I does not, not sound like you or us sometimes. God, you blessed me this, I'm going to do this. God, you gave me this, I'm going to do this. God, you called me to this position, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. The heart of a fool. Not another man said it, but God said, you fool. I mean, my father, you say, you dot blame fool. I never understood why he say dot blame. I didn't know what that was. My father would be like, that's a dot blame fool. I'm like, okay, I don't get it, but amen. But think about it. We examine ourselves and our motives how far are we from the rich farmer? Just think about it. Right now, I'm going to give you a moment. Just think about it. Where in your heart, as you plan and you budget and you think about life, that the word that kept coming up is I, I, my, 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 I. And if you got children, that's usually what we're teaching our children not to do, Amen. Because some of the first words they start learning is mine, 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 mine. And we're like, no, that's not yours. That's mommy's. No, that's not yours. That's daddy. No, that's the other kids. And we're the same way, which shows that if we are, then that means we're childish, not only foolish. And when we budget, again, when we budget and steward and make plans with our churches, do we involve God? 
Or do you just make immediate decisions? I do that sometimes. Sometimes I make decisions off of impulse. But do we consult God when we budget and steward and make plans with our treasure that he's given us? Well, think about this. When our needs are met and our bills are paid and everything is in place, do we start considering how we could bless our neighbor or do we start talking about what vacation we could take? Do we start thinking about, oh, man, I can upgrade my vehicle now or do we start saying, sister or brother, so-and-so don't have a vehicle? We're in a place and, and everything's good and dandy and God has blessed us with abundance. Do we think about the mission of God or do we think about our own plans and our own ideas? But I even want to go deeper to our hearts with this question, which I believe this is what Jesus Christ right now, Yeshua HaMashiach, was trying to get to. What are we saving and storing up for? Is it treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. He didn't say maybe, he said, ah. he said, do not store up yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasure in what? In heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. So what he's saying is that our pockets and our possession will tell on us. What we spend our time and our treasures on will expose what we're preparing for. See, the rich farmer, the, the parable of the rich farmer is not a lesson about preparing, preparing what we're going to leave when we go, but it's about preparing what we're going to take when we go. And that's our hearts. And nothing else is going with us but what's here, our body, our soul, our minds, and our hearts. Not our money, not our cars, not our homes, not our fame. None of this will go with us to heaven, but our hearts will. And our hearts need to be prepared to go to glory with God. Amen? So I want to remind you, we're not going to heaven. If you're a believer, we're not going to heaven to get a heart exchange. We're going to heaven because we had a heart exchange. We already decided here to follow Jesus. We made Yahweh, Yahweh our heart's desire here. We have decided to follow Jesus today, have you? And if you haven't, please get with me or one of the elders or, or anybody next to hey, I, I want to make that decision today to follow Jesus. And if you have made that decision, then you must allow the Holy Spirit to change and mold and prepare your hearts so you may live a life worthy of the kingdom of God and worthy for the everlasting, eternal presence of God that we will soon go to when he come back or when we die or transition from here. But I also want you to think about this question. When Abba calls us home, whenever that will be, will he find us with a fool's heart or with a faithful heart? When Yahweh calls you home, that could be today because tomorrow's not promised. Will he find you with a fool's heart or with a faithful heart? Luke 18, 8 says this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he's talking about Jesus, will he find faith where? On the earth. 
When Jesus Christ come back, if he's your Savior, he's your Lord, and you've been pursuing him, and you've been studying your word so you can know him and follow him correctly, and you've been hanging with community and diving, living life with community of, with the community of God, when Jesus come back, will he find you with a heart full of faith or a heart full of foolishness? Will he find us trusting in him with every possession that we have? He should. We just sung about how he never fails, amen? So he never failed. So why can't we trust him with every possession that we have, every hour that we have, every minute that we have, every relationship that we have, every child that we're blessed with? Some people can't even have children, and some of us have abundance of children, and we still don't give our children back to God. Woe to us, for he's a God that never fails, and we have no reason to doubt him or not trust him with our possessions, which are really his possessions. Think about it. Just look at his track record. He said he will come to redeem us. He did. He said he would send the Holy Spirit to comfort us and empower us and to be with us. He did. He said he would soon to come back for us and take us back to be with him. I believe he will. Why? Because people of God, we are the bride of Christ. And when you think about marriage back in those days, when a man would betroth himself or get engaged to a woman... He would get engaged to her, and then he would leave to go prepare a place for her, a home, a Maserati, whatever she liked, you know what I mean, you know, whatever she liked, DVDs that she liked, whatever it is, he want to come on the blankets and everything, amen, somebody did like that, come on somebody, may you receive your husband, amen. So a husband, so he would get engaged to the woman, then he'll leave and go prepare a place, and then he would come back and get her, and then she all giddy like, ooh, I'm ready to go see my home, hopefully it's what she want, Amen. But he will come back and get her. It was a promise. So the ring was a symbol of promise to let her know, I, I choose you. I want you. So I put a ring on it. Uh, 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 I put a ring on it. Some of y'all got it. Some of y'all didn't. <laughs> Praise God. Sometimes you win, you lose. Amen. So, <laughs> but he made a promise to her. And he gave her a ring to let her know, every time you look at that ring, it's a promise that I'll come back for you, baby girl. We have that same promise, bride of Christ. That ring is the Holy Spirit. It seals that thing. Every time you, you remind that the Holy Spirit is in you, it's a reminder that he will come back for you. So you can be encouraged that he never fails. His faithfulness is, is great. So we have no reason not to, to trust him. Just look at this Holy Scriptures. Look at the word. If you, if you could, you can ask Daniel. And Daniel would tell you, man, I was in the lion's den and he never failed me. If you can go talk to the Hebrew boys, they would say, hey, hey, we was, in a, we was in a fiery furnace and he did not fail us. You can look at Rahab and you can look at the Israelites and you can look at Samson and you can look at the apostles and the disciples of Jesus and they will all worship and praise and say, God would never fail. God would never fail us because he can't. He can't. The same way, as dark as I am, I can't turn light in the next moment. I can't. <laughs> Just as impossible that is, so is it to him being faithful. It's not in his DNA. It's not in his makeup. It's not who he is. He can't fail us, so he will not fail us. Think about it, the things that do fail us, the people that do fail us are imperfect, but God is perfect in all of his ways. Hallelujah. So he never would fail us. 
We just need to trust him. Do you trust him? And the hardship right now, blueprint, that we're, we're, we're praying through and walking through, do you trust him? Do you trust that he can move a mountain? Do you trust him? Do you trust him when he gave you that, that money? He said, go give it to that person they need it. Do you trust him that he'll still supply your every needs, even if, you're, even if you pour out your bank account for somebody else? Do you trust him? Do you trust him when the doctor gave you a report about your child, about yourself? Do you trust him? Though they tell us this about vaccine, they switch it up and then, do you still trust him? He gave you what you have right now, even down to your very breast, and he never took it back, despite how we treat him sometimes. It's a reason to trust him. So remember, a fool's heart disregards and disbelieves God, but a faithful heart believes in God and regards him, and that regarding leads to you regarding others. We must watch out and guard ourselves from all kinds of greed because greed keeps our eyes off of God and off our neighbor and keeps our eyes on ourselves. Well, how do we watch and guard ourselves from this greed? How do we do it? One application. Reckon and embrace daily that we are generous stewards and not general owners. Say it again. Reckon or remind yourself and embrace what you're reminding yourself of daily that you are a generous steward and not a, 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 a general owner or a generous owner. It's just that simple. A lot of times, that's how simple our application is. Remind yourself daily, I'm not my own, I'm God's. My life is not my own, it's God. God is with me, God is with me. That's why you see people when they get ready to fight, they're in the, they're in the corner, they're hyping themselves up. Yeah, he big, but I can take him, I can take him. I know I can take him, I can take him, I can do him. I'm the baddest dude in the world. Yeah, they don't know. They don't know who I am. They don't Because what they doing, they revving themselves up. Give me a theme music. Boom, boom, boom. They revving themselves up to go out to the fight so their minds can be focused on, on their strengths. And what they can do, and the fact that they already got victory, they probably already said, I got this battle, I got this, I ain't worried about dude. Until they get knocked out, they say, oh, I thought I had it, but amen. But sometimes our application is just reminding ourselves, God, this is, this is not mine, this is yours. So daily I wake up and I give everything that you've given me back to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 2 says this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God, but since it is written, he catches the wise in the craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasons of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, God. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours. Paul, I'm going to read that again. He says, so let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours. Whether it's Paul, whether it's Apollos, whether it's the Hadi, whether it's T.D. Jakes, whether it's Francis Chan, whether it's your world, whether it's the life, whether it's death, or things present or things to come, Lord, everything is yours. And you belong to Christ, people of God. 
in Christ belong to God. That was 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I feel like somebody was asking, like, what that was again? So there you go. A person should think of us in this way. We should look at us this way. That we are servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. We don't own any of this. We don't own this building. We don't own our lives. We don't own our time. We don't own any of it. We're just stewards. We're just managers. And in this regard, it's required that managers be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 3. Remember it said this. It said, man, in this regard, managers should be found faithful. So God is expecting when he come back for us to be faithful, not to our plans and not our will, but to his plan, his will, his mission, his people. We don't own anything, not our time, our treasures, our home, our cars, our relationships, our body, or even your very own life. They all belong to the Lord Yah for his mission and for his ministry of edification and for his ministry of reconciliation. That's why he's given you everything. He called us, he made us to reflect his image and to represent his kingdom rule. And then when Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ through Paul said, now committed to you is the ministry of reconciliation and the ministry of edification. And also committed to you, believers, the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel. He said, now you are ambassadors. You're nothing else, but you are ambassadors, representatives of not your own kingdom, not your own household, not of yourself, but of the kingdom of God. And through you, God is reconciling the world back into himself. So we are called to say, yo, repent and come to the Father. God is looking for trustworthy managers or stewards. Generous stewards who use their time, talent, and treasures for the mission of God and for the ministry of edification and, and reconciliation. The problem is sometimes we're not trustworthy. And that's okay. We're imperfect. Pray that God make you trustworthy. But sometimes we wonder why we don't get the abundance in our finances or in a job or a promotion or certain things. Because just in this season, it might be later on, but in this season right now, God might be like, no, nah, you're not there yet. I, I want to give it to you, but if I give it to you, you're not going to use it what I want you to use it for. Or you might be like the, thank you, God, you might be like the prodigal son, and you might come to me and say, give me my inheritance now, and then you go blow it all away. But it's still beauty in that story because when he came back, he was able to find God excited, his father excited for him to return. So sometimes the reason why some of us haven't received abundance of finances, influence, or promotion because we're not, we, we got to grow maturity when it comes to being generous stewards. We got to be able to be a funnel and not be a, a fossil with a cap on it. But I do have a question. What if Father Yah really wants to do a great work in your neighborhood, in your community, or just that one neighbor next to you, right next door? He wants to give you money, and he wants to give you possessions, and he wants to give you the time, and he wants to give you everything you need, the resources that are not really for you but for them. Will you be willing to live a life of a generous store where you're saying, okay, God, I'm willing to give it all up if that's what you're saying for the sake of the other person. I regard what you're saying, God, and I want to regard the person, my neighbor, that's next to me. 
We must begin to tell ourselves, I don't own anything. Everything I have is my father's in heaven. That I'm just a generous steward and not a generous owner. That, I'm, that, I'm, that I don't want to be a foolish heart person. I want to be a faithful heart person where you can trust me with everything, God. And you can trust me that you give me, I will give it away. Even with our time. Sometimes time is sometimes we're the most selfish with our time. I don't have time for that, God. So how you don't? I gave it to you. How you don't? But God find us with faithful hearts and not foolish hearts. So I want to take a moment for us to sit right now and the worship team could come up. Well, Evan, you can come up and play. I want us to take some time out and examine our hearts to see if we've been acting as foolish owners and not generous stewards. I want us to take some time in silence and just think about where your finances are, how you've been budgeting, how you've been stewarding, what you've been planning for, what you've been storing up for, and ask yourself, like, check your motives at night. Did I involve God in this? And how can I involve God in this? And then we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit delivers us from selfishness and greed because we all have it, every single one of us. But we can't, we can't deliver ourselves from it. God has to do it. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to do it for us. Transform us to look more like him. So let's give a moment to just think about. Right now, I'm going to give you like a minute for you to think about. Right now, examine your heart, your motives, your budget, and say, man, have I been allowing God to be a part of my planning, my budgeting, and my stewarding of my possessions? Let's pray. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.